Forever Bible Chapel, we welcome the name of the Lord. Well, if you can't guess, we're returning to Mark chapter 8. So today's objective, our goal, is to see how far through Mark chapter 8 we can get. Maybe not all of it, we'll see how far we can go. And simply drawing out some very practical life lessons, things that we can use in our daily walk, trying to glean from God's Word and get some practical living applications from it. Give you guys another second to find it. Mark chapter 8. All right, let's open our time in a word of prayer. Lord God, we give you so much thanks for your son. And Lord, as you read the account, a part of your son's life, I pray that he will be exalted, that he alone will be glorified, for he alone is worthy of it. For he is the great I am, the one who spoke this very world into existence. We give you thanks for making us. We give you thanks for loving us. And we pray that as we read your word, your spirit would do a mighty work in our hearts this day. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Mark chapter one, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called to his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because they have come a long distance. So the reason why I asked you this week to read chapter 7 is so you kind of have a background of what's going on. And obviously if you did more reading, go back to chapter 6, 5, 4, and keep reading, alright? But what's really going on is here, there's a large number of people gathered around. Why are they gathered around Jesus? There's some pretty amazing things going on. In chapter 7, Jesus touches this man who was mute and who was deaf. Couldn't speak, couldn't hear. Touches him, boom, healed. There's another girl who had a demon in her. Jesus healed her too of the demon. If you keep reading back in the other chapters, he went to towns and people in the towns brought everybody who was sick, everybody who was lame, everybody who had a disease, and he healed them all. Some amazing things are going on. And on top of that, you have God himself teaching. I mean, what kind of amazing sermons would that be? God himself teaching. So people are dropping what they're doing, walking out of work, walking out of school, and following Jesus. And this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for these people. They drop everything, and they follow after him. And what do we see happens here? We've got a large crowd, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. Jesus felt for them. He put himself in their shoes. He identified himself with these people and says, man, they're hungry. They've been with me for three days now. If I send them home, they're not going to make it. And his heart broke for these people. And I bet you can't guess what's going to happen next. It's going to drive Jesus to do something. It's going to drive him to have action. When we have compassion on people, does it actually cause us to do anything? Have you ever, like, like Jesus, uh, my father shared this story with me once, and ever since I've heard it, a lot of times when I find myself in the same scenario, I try and think, huh, what does Jesus see right now? So my dad was saying, one time he was at Costco, and his place was mobbed out. And it was July 1st weekend, 
it's Canadian Day in, in Canada. It's like that's our, you know, big day in Canada, not Fourth of July, it's July 1st. And he was in Costco checking out mobs upon mobs of people. He's just standing in line going, man, what does God see when he looks at the mobs of people? Does he just see a mob of people getting food and going home? Or does he really see their heart? Does he really see what's going on? Does he see the hurt? Does he see the pain? Does he see all those lost people going to hell? I try to do the same thing once in a while. When I'm in a large crowd of people, sometimes like, God, what do you see right now? When you're looking at all those people, what do you really see? I see people going to have a party, people going to have a good time. Or do you see through all that? That there is a large number of people in this world right now that are hurting. They're, they're searching for happiness. They're searching for a good time, and they're not finding it. And I, I have the answer to that. I have a good time all the time. Why? Because Jesus Christ has filled my heart with so much joy that no matter what's going on in this life, I know the end result. The end result is I'm with Him forever. Amen. 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 I'm with Him forever. Nothing can take that away. And when you're looking at a large, vast crowd, do you see that in everyone else? It's probably not true. The vast majority of people in this world, they're on their way to hell. Does that cause your heart to break? Honestly, do you ever feel compassion for other lost people out there? Do you ever feel for them? And does it ever motivate you to action? Jesus doesn't stand by. Now, these are physical needs. And obviously, we should have the same thing. As Christians, we should have compassion on those who have physical needs. When Jesus acts, he steps in to fill a need. His emotions drive him to do things. Now, I don't want to steal all the thunder from an upcoming uh, series that we're already going to do, starting a series of James next week. I don't want to steal all the thunder from those speaking on James. But we do know very well that in James chapter 15, uh, the author James says this, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them tells him, Go in peace, stay warm. Be well fed, but does not provide for his physical needs. What good is it? So too, faith by itself, if not complemented by action, is dead. If you feel like you have compassion on people and you do nothing, what good is it? 1 John 3.17 If anyone with earthly possessions sees his brother in need, but withholds his compassion from him, how can the love of God abide in him? If you feel God pressing on your heart that someone is in need, someone is hurting, someone needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, maybe someone needs a physical need, and you have the ability to help, you have the ability to do something, and you do nothing, how can you say the love of God abides in you? How can you say that I know God's love? And that he lives in me. How can you say that? Jesus never once drove people away that came to him for help. Never once. How about us? When was the last time you helped someone and it cost you and it wasn't your own personal family? It's very easy for me to help my kids because they're my kids. It's very easy for me to, all right, I'll sacrifice this for my wife's sake. 
you know, I, I won't spend my money on this because I'll get her something. Or I'll, I'll help her do the dishes or I'll help her mop the floor even though I hate it. Why? Because it's for my wife. When was the last time you actually did something for someone else that wasn't your immediate family? Or even yet, it's very easy for me to help Jared and Casey out. Why? Because they're my friends. I, I'm willing to do that for them because they're my friends. Okay? But how, when was the last time you actually canceled your plans did something that was hard to help someone that wasn't your family or wasn't your friends. Jesus Christ did it for strangers all the time. When was the last time you helped a stranger? You cannot tell me, unless you got a really hard heart, you cannot tell me that you have met people and never seen a need that they, don't, that they have. You've never, I meet people all the time, but they never have needs. They never need help with anything. Really? What kind of people are you meeting? The people I meet always have needs, always need to hear the gospel, always have physical needs too. They do. And that's just completely blind because you don't want to know them. Has God ever pressed upon your heart to help someone? I hope that he does frequently. He gives you these opportunities to show God's love to people. Are you following through with that blessing that God is putting in front of you? Are you actually having compassion on people and following through with action? Continue with First John three uh, three eighteen. Oh, sorry, Matthew chapter five. Oh, I can't say it straight. Matthew twenty five verse thirty four says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, "Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me." And when I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when were we thirsty and you gave us a drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. Jesus Christ puts people in our life, brings people along your path of life that need help. They need either physical help, sometimes they need emotional support, sometimes they need spiritual support. I'll guarantee they probably always need spiritual support of some kind. He brings his people along your way. Are your eyes even open to it, for one? And two, when it comes your way, do you actually act upon it? Lord, have you ever prayed in the morning, Lord, let me be a blessing to someone today. Lord, open my eyes to see how I can help someone today in your name. And God says, when you do that, you do it as to me. You do it as to me. Yes, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it costs you your time. Sometimes it costs you your financial resources. But Jesus says, if you do it for them, it's as if you did it for me. I guarantee you, Jesus Christ stood right here in the middle of the room and said, hey, can someone get me a cup of water? Boom, we'd all be over there getting a cup of water. Guarantee it. We'd all be up our seats flying to get him the first cup of water. Are we willing to do that for other people too? Are we willing to serve? I have compassion for these people, for they have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. They have nothing to eat. I know me. My physical needs are important. 
And I know that when the speaker's been up here and it's five minutes overtime, my belly is like, dude, shut up. I'm ready to go home. Okay? I want some food. I got to feed my kids. You know, they're getting cranky. These people follow Jesus for three days. Does it seem like they're complaining and grumbling very much? No. Three days. They dropped everything. They dropped their life so they could hear Jesus teach. Is that your heart? Well, you'll drop anything just to hear Jesus teach. You know what? Everything in life can be put on hold. It doesn't matter right now. I have the opportunity to sit in here teaching God's Word. Is that important to you? Is that valued to you? Or are you sitting here just because, well, you know, i got another 45 minutes to kill. I guess I might as well sit here and finish it out. Is that your heart? Or is your heart looking for and longing for ways to hear Jesus teach you? When we have our winter fall conference here, it's coming up in a few weeks in October. It's Columbus Day weekend, every weekend. Do you put your life on hold knowing, listen, I have an opportunity to sit for four teaching sessions with an amazing speaker preaching from God's Word. Life goes on hold. Everything put off. Now, we do provide food for you, so that's always good, right? But listen, I don't care. I'll get up extra early just to hear from God's Word. I want to hear Jesus teach. I want to hear Jesus talk. Is that your heart? You want it? You, you, you yearn, you long to hear it. And life can go on hold. My physical needs don't matter right now. I'm the kind of person where, unfortunately, I usually listen to my physical needs. And I let them dictate what my heart feels. It's wrong. It's wrong. These people had a great heart. They could have been here just for the show, too. All right? Because Jesus' show was in town. Hey, let's check out what's the next coolest thing he's going to do. It's very possible. At the same time, they could have been there to hear the most amazing preacher ever to step foot on this planet. It's God himself. All right, let's keep going through the story here. We're back again in Mark chapter 8. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. What's Jesus basically asking his disciples to do right now? Hey, guys, we've got to feed these people here. And if I were a disciple, well, this is all hindsight, right? If I were a disciple, I hope I would have been done like this. Hey, guys, guys, huddle, huddle. Disciples, huddle up, huddle up. Hey, this kind of looks familiar to you. Does this look like deja vu? If I, th- I think a month ago, we had a crowd of like 5,000 people. And they were hungry. And what did Jesus say? Oh, yeah, yeah, go get them some food. And we were like, how are we going to feed them? I was like, nine months out. We can't do that. That's absurd, Jesus. He's like, give me some fish and some bread. And he broke the fish, broke the uh, loaves of bread, and they fed everybody. And everybody was full to the brim when it was all done. Hey, guys, do you remember that story? This is our chance. We can see that happen again. Quick, get some bread, get some stuff. Let's see if he'll do it. What do they do? They don't do that at all, do they? They go, but his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can we get enough bread to feed them? Jesus, come on. Again, really? Like, There's no way. There's no food out here. We're in the middle of nowhere land. How are you going to feed all these people? We can't do that. Did they already forget? Listen, it's just chapter 6. When Jesus fed the 5,000, now again, chapter 6 is two pages for me. It's probably more than two pages of their life, all right? It's probably a few weeks going by, maybe a month going by, all right? But have they already forgotten the amazing miracle that Jesus has done? In your life, 
Has God ever come through in a miraculous way? Has he ever done that for you? I'll tell you, in my own little walk so far, my 30-some-odd years that I've been on this earth, I've seen God do some amazing things. Like things that no one else could ever explain to me, yeah, that was just happenstance. No, 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 no. These things were of God only because they were supernatural. All right? It was amazing. No one could put these uh, alignment events in place so this result would happen. That doesn't happen by accident. All right? Things God has done in my life were just phenomenal. And he showed me so many times that he is real, that he is alive. But all too often, a scenario in my life will come up where all of a sudden, like, shoot, God, what are you going to do? I don't know. How are we going to get any bread to feed these people? How are you going to help me, God, in this scenario? You can't do anything about this. We're stuck. And yet, God has already proven himself so many times that I don't have to worry about a darn thing. I don't have to overpower the air conditioner anymore. I don't have to, I don't have to do a darn thing. Because he's already proven himself faithful that no matter what scenario I'm in, he's going to take care of it as long as I trust him. How come the disciples here are wigging out already? He just showed you a month ago that he's able to take care of it. It's the exact same scenario. Have you ever been in the same scenario multiple times in your life and God has proven himself to be faithful, yet when it comes up again, you go, I don't know, God. I don't know what we're going to do this time. Uh, it's out of my hands. I, 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 I'm lost. What are you going to do? I, I don't know. This is impossible. Does that happen to you? Is that, I hope that... I hope that when those sneers come up, your faith is strong enough that you recall God's faithfulness to you. How He has been there for you. He has proven Himself true. He has come through for you. And you just go, you know what, God? I don't see the answer. I don't know how it's going to work out. But you have been there every single time I've needed you. And there was a scenario in my life that's very similar, if not the exact same as this now. And you came through then, so you know what, Lord? I'm trusting on you to finish this one. It's on you now. All too often I found myself like a disciple. I don't know, God. This is crazy. Yet, for God, it's not crazy. God already knows what he's going to do. Do you trust in him? His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can I get enough bread for these to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And now I'm sure their brains are going, ding. Hey, guys, he's going to do it again. He's going to do the whole bread breaking thing. This is going to be awesome. Quick, get some food. So they get seven loaves of bread. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And so they did. And they had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them also and told his disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. The people ate and they were satisfied. I don't know about you. Have you ever had an, you know, a circumstance in your life where you haven't had food for a very long time? Like a long, long time. And you get your first bite of food. It's good. I remember when I had my surgery when I was 20. Dude. I hadn't eaten food for 10 days. My first bite of jello, heaven. Heaven on earth. My first ice chips, I couldn't believe it. I, I never had ice chips so good as those ice chips. That was the best thing I ever had. 10 days without food would drive me nuts. I'm living on those IV drips for 10 days. Enough. But I got food, jello. I swear, I was eating God's banquet table right there off that thing of jello. So good. All right? Have you ever had a spiritual low in your life? 
And then God's word comes into your heart and you feel satisfied. God himself calls himself the bread of life. That we should come to him for all of our physical needs, all our spiritual needs, our spiritual food. God desires to fill you. And as we read in the next verse, overflows you. He gives you so much food that you are full. You know what? When I'm full, when I'm stuffed, and my belly's hurting now because I got too much, am I looking for something else to satisfy me? Am I looking for more food to put in my face to satisfy the little bit of space I got left? Nope. I don't want you to put any more food in my face. Get that away from me. Do you want seconds? Do you want thirds? Do you want fifths? No, please. I'm full. That's what God wants to do. He wants to fill you up. There ain't no space left. He wants to satisfy you to the point where you don't long for, look for, or want anything else in this life. Are you longing for stuff in this life to satisfy you because you're not allowing yourself to be satisfied in Jesus? Jesus wants to be your all in all. He wants to be your portion, as you read in Psalms. Portion means here's enough food to fill you, to satisfy you, to give you everything you need, to be all you want. I can't imagine what this bread tastes like. Jesus breaking bread and making bread. I mean, when he did the wine you know, trick, right? The, the wine miracle. Not really a trick, the wine miracle. Best wine ever, right? I can't imagine what this bread I'm a bread connoisseur. I love bread. Can you imagine what this bread tastes like? Probably the best bread ever. When these people are satisfied, they're like, oh, please no more of that dry, crusty bread. I don't want any more of that. You know? And they're really only half full. No, I bet you these guys are like, dang, that stuff is good. And they pound as much as they could physically fit because it's probably the best bread ever. And they were seriously satisfied when it was over. That's what Jesus is like. You know what I'm talking about. You've had those moments in your life where you've had an awesome quiet time with the Lord. Or you've heard an awesome message from the pulpit and God really talked to your heart and you were full. And you were full. You were 100% satisfied in God. He wants that for you every day. He wants that for you every day. Jesus wants to be the only thing that you long and strive after to fill you up. The people ate and were satisfied. After, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces. That were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanthus. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. I, I, I don't get that. I, I don't get that part. You're just having seven giant basketfuls. And I'm sure it's not this little basket that we used to serve up here to our bread. It's probably a big basket, right? Seven basketfuls, and they got no bread left? Where, you know, how did you forget it? I mean, listen, if you've got a group of guys and there's food left over... Guess where the food usually comes? It, it goes with them. I never leave good food behind. I take it with me wherever I'm going. Hey, leftovers for later, right? I don't get it, right? Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread with us. That's, of course, 
Jesus is teaching us a story, telling us this account. Why? Come on, guys. How do we forget the bread again? How do we do that? I could just see them amongst themselves going, Dude, Andrew, I thought you were in charge of carrying the bread. That was your job. Dude, it was, I, James and John said that they wanted to carry it. I let them have it. Dude, James and John, where, where'd the bread go? Uh, we ate it. Sorry, guys. I, I don't know. Like, Where did all this food go? It just disappeared. That's why Jesus is upset. Jesus is upset because all the bread's gone. If you go back to Matthew, you can read the exact same account, and it, it explains very clearly what Jesus is talking about. And he's not talking about physical bread. He's talking, guys, be careful of the teachings, the false teachings that the Pharisees and that the Herodians are teaching. Be careful of that. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember that when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did, it, did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. And he said to them, Do you still not understand? Guys, listen. I have proved myself over and over and over again that I am fully capable and can take care of adequately any need that you have, any scenario that comes up in your life. I can take care of it. How do you guys not see that yet? How are you so blind that I am the way, the truth, and the life? That there's nothing else out there. Everything else out there is false teachings. All you need is me. How, how are you not getting that? I've told you. I've shown you. Every sense of your body has been affected by me, and you're still not getting it, guys. How are you so blind? The story I really want, the account I really want to get at is this next one. And I struggled when I read this one at home, because I didn't really understand it at first. I still don't fully get it, but understanding what the disciples just went through helps me to kind of get a little bit more you know, me wrapping my mind around it. So let's dig into the next story, okay? In verse 22. Then they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by his hand and led him outside the village. When he spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more Jesus put his hands on a man's eyes, and his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't go into the village and tell anyone. So we're going to try and break down, with a few minutes that we have left, I guess, this section of Scripture here, and some, again, some of the basic things that we can pull from it, and some you know, lessons about what Jesus is like. So Jesus comes into another town, and he may have been doing some healings, may have been doing some teachings. We don't know exactly what's going on in this town. But we see these people that bring a blind man. Is it easy to bring a blind man somewhere? I, I don't have much experience with blind people. But is it easy to guide someone that's blind? Not really. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort, actually. All right? It takes a lot of work. We play this game all the time with kids at campus. We blindfold people and you've got to guide them around. 
it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort to get someone through town over a long distance to go, see, to go somewhere. It takes a lot of effort to get through a crowd of people to bring this person to Jesus. Obviously, these people probably cared a lot about this person. And we don't know who he is. We don't know his background. We don't know his story. All right? But if I'm going to go through all the hassle of trying to drag a blind man through city, around town, through obstacles, through a crowd to get to Jesus, I must care deeply about this person. I, I must care a little bit about him. And then what does it say? What do they do? They brought the blind man and begged Jesus to heal him. Do you get that? They begged him. Jesus, please, have pity on him. Would you please help this guy? He needs you. Jesus, come on, we're asking. Please, Savior, Lord, help this man, please. Restore his sight. They're begging him. They're pleading with him. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever begged? Have you ever pleaded with God for someone's soul? Have you ever gone before God about your neighbor or maybe your family member who's lost, maybe your co-worker, and begged God to save him? Lord, my neighbor's going to hell. He does not know you. And he refuses to acknowledge that you even exist. God, save his soul. Do whatever it takes. Break down his walls. Bring a circumstance into his life. I don't care. Whatever it takes, Lord, please, I'm begging you, save him. I don't want to see him go to hell. Have you ever done that for someone? I don't think it's wrong to do. To pray on someone else's behalf. Now, you can't save him. Only God can save a soul. But to intercede on someone else's behalf and beg God to do a work in their life, I think that's appropriate. I think that's appropriate. When was the last time you prayed for someone that wasn't your family member? When was the last time you seriously prayed for a lost soul that wasn't necessarily just your friend? Maybe it's your friend. That's good too. Have you ever been broken down because someone that you know is going to hell? Has it ever seriously broken? You know, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. My life's taken care of. You guys, you're on your own. Fend for yourselves. You know? God knows who's out there is going to get saved. He can deal with the rest. That, that's not right, guys. That's not right. I really hope that your eyes are opened and seeing and perceiving the world the way Jesus sees it. And the way Jesus sees it, he looks out and goes, saved, saved, not saved. Pray for them. Pray for them. He knows. Are you perceiving like he is? And he sees those who are lost and going to hell. Yeah, they might have an awesome life. Things might be going great for them. Not an earthly, an earthly sense, but an eternal sense, they're, they're going to burn forever and be miserable. And you have the opportunity to go to the God of the universe and pray for their soul. And then also maybe pray for the boldness to share. To share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Or to be a light for them. God, I pray for them. And I also pray that you could use me maybe 
that you give me the opportunity to, to share your story with them. Are you burdened by lost souls? Someone was burdened with your soul at one time because they had the gumption to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. Are you burdened to do the same now? And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And Jesus took him, the blind man, by the hand and led him outside the village. I love this. Jesus is about to have a one-on-one personal account, personal time with this person. One-on-one time with Jesus. Jesus doesn't save en masse, in bulk. When Jesus saves, he saved me one-on-one. When he saved you, he saved you one-on-one. You have your own personal account, personal relationship, personal time with Jesus. It's not just this big hand-waving, now you're all saved. I don't know you all, but you're all good now. That's not how it works. Jesus wants to get to know people one-on-one. He takes this man out of town. You know what he does? He grabs him by the hand. He relates with him. He says, you know what? You can come with me. I'm grateful that Jesus did that, Jesus did that for me. He took me by the hand. He led me out of town. He sat me down and had a discussion with me. And he taught me about himself. Unfortunately, my eyes were opened. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? What did he just do? <laughs> right in the man's face. Like, in today's standards, that's bad, right? In all, in all sincerity, you could be arrested for doing that here. That's not cool. And I'm sure back then, too, in their cultural time, that probably wasn't cool either. I don't know any time in history where that's a cool thing to do, all right? That's not socially acceptable, but what does Jesus do? He spits on the man's eyes. He spits on him. God just did something that was disgusting, disgraceful, and he uses that to heal someone. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.23 But we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, the natural man does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. Because they are spiritually discerned. God can use the things that are foolishness, that are despised by natural people, by lost souls, people who are blind to God's truth. He can use that which is despicable and use it to save a soul. God's word is considered to be foolish by everyone who's lost. Yet God has used that to open my eyes. He has used it to open your eyes if you follow him. He spit on a man's eyes, put his hands on him, and said, Do you see anything? He looked at him and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. 
Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and said, and his eyes were opened and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Now, this has really bothered me for a while. Jesus spits on the man's eyes, puts his hands on him, prays for him. And the guy looks up. How do you see now? Not so good. Oh, shoot, screwed up. I missed a couple nerve optics there right there. Let me fix that. Let's try this again. Trial two. Let's try it. All right, now we got it. You think Jesus purposely screwed up? You think he accidentally screwed up? Jesus doesn't make mistakes. So what are you doing, Jesus? Every time I see you do a healing in the past, what is it? You're better. You're better. Oh, I just speak a word. You're better. I think a thought. You're better. Instantaneous. Perfect restoration. And Jesus doesn't seem to do a perfect job here the first time. He's losing it. He's losing his touch. You know, maybe he didn't. What's going on here? Why did Jesus have to do it two times? And again, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to preach up here. I know the answer. Okay, I don't know exactly why Jesus did what he did. But there's a couple of thoughts that I found interesting to help me wrap my mind around it. One, uh, Spurgeon said this. Had our Lord cast all his miracles in one mold, men would have attracted undue importance to the manner by which he performed them and would have superstitiously thought more of it than the divine power by which the miracle was accomplished. If you don't understand, I'll say it this way. Ready? If Jesus Christ did every miracle in the exact same fashion and sequence, we as men, as human beings, we attract ourselves superstitiously to things that shouldn't be attractive to. You know, When Jesus told his disciples, I now give you the power to go heal people, could you imagine his disciples going to heal people and going, okay, let's do it with Jesus. Step one. Spit to the ground. Step two, a counterclockwise motion, swirl the hand. Dip with the two thumbs, place on the eyes, forehand on the hand, and now pray. If, that, if Jesus did it every single time like that, could you see the disciples trying to duplicate that exact same method? Absolutely. But in all reality, the method had nothing to do with it. It's all God's miraculous power. So I, help me out. Jesus, when you look at his miracles, very rarely does he do the same miracle the exact same way. He changes it up. He spiced it up every time. Why? He wanted to show to the world, show to his disciples, show to you and me that, listen, I don't need a superstitious, you know, scoping sequence of exactly how to do this special technique. All right? I can touch someone and heal them. I can spit on them and heal them. I can simply say a word and heal them. You know what? I can think the thought and heal them. There's no magical solution, magical steps to heal someone. I have all authority and power from heaven, and I can do it however I want. And when God gave that power to his disciples, I think they saw that, that there's no special technique. All I need is to rely on God's power. i got to have faith in God. Otherwise, I would still even believe today that we would say, okay, Jesus did this, 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 in this exact sequence. We'd still be doing it today. That, that may be one reason why. That Jesus Christ was truly the Almighty God and didn't need any special method to do it. Again, we see that he put his hands on his eyes. And the first time, he didn't have full sight. What did Jesus just finish saying after the 4,000? What did Jesus just finish saying to his disciples? 
Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts still hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears that fail to hear? And don't you remember that when I broke the five loaves and I fed the 5,000, right? It's like, disciples, listen, I know you get it because if you read the very next paragraph, he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. Did his disciples recognize who he really was? Yeah, I believe that his disciples really understood that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They knew that. They had salvation faith. They had salvation. They had saving faith in Christ. They knew he was. They recognized that he wasn't just a normal man. They recognized that he wasn't just a good man. They recognized that he wasn't just a prophet. They recognized that he alone was the Messiah. He was the anointed one. He was the promised one. They got that. But they were still a little bit blind. They didn't get all his teachings. Maybe God was using this. Jesus was using this as a story, as a lesson to his disciples. To say, listen guys, this guy's got his sight. He can see. But there's still some more things I need to clarify for him. There's still some things i got to clarify for you. You still need to have your eyes fully opened. Because you're not getting it. Maybe he was doing that. I don't know. But I do know that in my life, Jesus Christ restored my sight. He saved me. And I see Jesus for who he really is. Do I get it all? No. Do I misinterpret sometimes the things that he says? Yeah, absolutely. But Jesus Christ is working in my life through his spirit to sanctify me. To make me into his image. To make me into his person. To make me look like him. So that one day I will see everything clearly. Right now, I don't see everything clearly. When I read the scripture, I don't see it all clearly. I don't get all God's plan clearly. I don't get it all. But one day, one day when I stand before him face to face, I will see it all. I will finally get all of it. Maybe that's what he was doing. I don't know. Jesus doesn't explain why he did it that way. But I'm praising God that when he starts something, he finishes it. He didn't leave the guy with just half his sight. He didn't leave the guy with a distorted vision. He made it perfect. And I know that for you and for I, he who started a good work in you, he will finish it. He will see it through to completion. Jesus Christ has started a work in your life. And you know what? He won't quit. He won't go, you know what? That's a screw up. We throw that back over and start over again with that one. That one's worthless. I mean, I do that with my project sometimes. You know what? I, I can't fix that. That's too messed up. I did it. I messed it up, but I can't fix it. Start over again. Let's get some new lumber here. Oops, I cut that one way too short. Scrap that one and start over again. He doesn't do that does. He who began a good work in you, he will finish it. Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. He starts our faith and he will see it through to the end. Till completion, till it's perfect, till fully restored. And that's what he will do for your life. And he guarantees it. Amen. We're going to close in a word of prayer. And then we're going to do our uh, official word for our We're going to do our corporate prayer time. James, would you mind closing first and never corporate prayer time? Thanks. All right. Lord our God, we give you thanks that you are the Almighty God, that you reign supreme over all things. You sit on a throne that is higher than every other throne out there, and you have a name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, and we will worship to it. Lord, we thank you that you have saved us. 
and that by belief in your name, our sins are forgiven. Lord, we pray that we will be a people that have compassion for lost souls, that we will be a people who desire to be used by you, people who desire to be satisfied by you. Lord, I pray that you do a mighty work in our lives. So we commit this week, we commit our lives into your hands. And we trust that you will do what's best for us. Lord, we give you thanks in your son's precious name. Amen.